Englishman in San Diego. At the International Comics Expo, Margate 2018. Good morning and thank you for coming down on this lovely Sunday morning. Uh, this is Emma Vicelli, I'm sure you all know. Hello. And we were just talking about Japanese toys, weren't we, yes. Emma? So, what well, I'm fascinated because when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time in Germany and I'm, I think... Oh, yeah. So, I read a lot of German comics, a lot of the Smurfs and things like that, and Asterix, stuff you didn't yeah, necessarily yeah. get over it. But your experience of the Japanese market, I'm assuming, is quite similar. So, yeah, I was, really, I was really lucky as a kid because I had a, a Japanese uncle and my family's Italian. So the combination of having an uncle who, whether he was going on a business trip or his family would come over, Uncle Tetsuo would come over and bring over toys. And we were specifically just saying, like, I had like the... Uncle thing. Tetsuo. Is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> Tetsuo! Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, I know, amazing. But he was fabulous and he'd bring over these amazing dolls and toys and comics. Um, but then on the flip side, with my, my dad's side of the family, we would also drive every year, our, our holiday was driving to Italy to wow. see my family. So it was like a, a two-day drive. We'd stop in Belgium, in France, in Germany, and of course everywhere we stopped, because Europe, you could stop at a petrol station and go, I'm going to just pick up a comic, I'm going to pick up a comic. Yeah. Pick up. And then when I got to Italy, I had Bonelli and all the Dylan Dog comics, which is what I grew up with. So the combination of the Japanese influence and the, the Italian and the drive through Europe to Italy I mean, I was able to basically like sweep up. Wow. But did you, I mean, did you understand any, I mean, do you speak Italian? Did you speak mm. Italian? So you understood those. What about the Japanese comics though? <laughs> I couldn't no. no, no, no. I tried to learn at some point. Um, but for me, by that point, I think I was so enticed by the visuals. I just wanted to look at, for me, in a weird way, not being able to understand what was going on in the dialogue is probably why mm. I'm so obsessed with panel layout and pacing, because for me it was it was just about, whoa, the things they're doing on the page, the way they're using white space and dark space, and t like, even more so than seeing what the verbal story was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can connect with that, like I said, because you go in, you'd see all these German sort of comics, yeah. German Smurf comics and things like that, and you just... You just fall in love with the artwork, yeah. make up your own story. Yeah. And then, I of course, over here, I was reading obviously Asterix, yeah. and Tintin, and then getting into the X Men was my first fall there. And then, and then at some point later in my life, someone lent me a copy of Preacher, and that was like the the key. Oh, moment. cool! Um, so yeah, it was sort of I was surrounded by comics all the time, so I was really lucky in that respect. Yeah. yeah. Be, I think we can't underestimate the power of being surrounded by it, actually. And mm. that, so a lot of people don't have that luxury no. and I, I certainly didn't in my hometown it wasn't there we'd go on our pilgrimage to Basildon uh, <laughs> where, where my, where I, actually there was a phenomenal comic shop a chap called uh, John ran it and it's still there and he was my early pusher like because right. he would get great stock in like really varied stock um, but yeah there's plenty of people who don't have that or at least didn't oh, no, have that luxury sure. just being exposed to comics more and getting people underestimate what, what comics might be I mean so many times where I've done workshops or talks and you'll say when, it, when it's not to people like you guys who are here for comics but people who maybe aren't into comics so much and you'll say so who hears, who reads comics and there'll be a couple who go mm. no and then you say who's been on a plane or who's been on a train and they're like yeah yeah and you're like well then have you ever read the safety instructions you've read a comic <laughs> yeah. like, they're everywhere they're it's interesting because as 
as a teacher, I say all reading is good reading. Once a week yeah. on a Wednesday, we have to we read, and I still have to fight certain prickly management who think reading a comic. Unless until I tell Matt, she only read comics until I was sixteen, and now look at me head of English. So I've, <laughs> yes, I've blanked it for thirty that's years. Great. It's that's really, good, I, you know, yeah. I learned so much, and, and it's interesting. You know, sort of clearly surrounded by comics, neither of us understood. It gave us that passion. So when when did you start actually thinking? Do you know what? I quite like this idea of being a cartoonist, a comic book artist, so my, a sequential artist. Yeah, yeah, sequential artist. <laughs> all the terms we have for it now. Um, so I so being exposed to comics, loved comics, reading comics, played games. But I can I can tell you exactly the moment, and it was I was I, well I did, I never thought it was going to be a comic artist. Mm. I mean, who thinks they're going to be a comic yeah. artist? That's like a comics aren't made by people. Comics grow on trees or sent down by the gods. Like I didn't. <laughs> believe real people sat and made them. So I don't think there was ever a point where I thought it was going to be a job until it happened. But in terms of wanting to make them, like as a, as a hobby or something, I wanted, to, I wanted to tell my stories. It was the difference between reading comics and enjoying them as a reader is going, this is awesome. And then the day someone lent me a copy of Rumeka Takahashi's Rama Half, and funny enough, there's quite a few people in comics. I know at least Becky, we've had this conversation. We all had the same experience reading that comic because it was the first time I actually looked at a comic and went, I could do this. Okay. I could, it was something about, it was such fun, visual, the characters were really appealing, but it was simple. And that's not to put it down. Like, no. like many great comics. I mean, mm. Takahashi is one of the greats and her stuff is, is relatively simple. Um, but it's just so, so alive, itself, yeah. It? So it was the difference between reading stuff where you know I'd, I'd be reading like X Men or or beautiful asterisk pages or things that were yeah. so impenetrable in terms of you know to read them fantastic, but you don't look at them and go, oh yeah, I could totally do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it, sometimes it takes seeing a certain thing that you actually click with on a level where you think I can actually see how they've put these lines yeah. together. I want to try. And that, so that was, uh, I just reams of pages of Rumiya Kazakahashi faces of people just going like, oh, and all this <laughs> stuff. Well, you've had quite an eclectic career, haven't you? I mean, obviously, we'll start with the sort of, you know, start at the beginning. Uh, you know, the manga Shakespeare. How did you get into that? Because certainly it seems to be, from what I can see, a starting point for a lot of artists mm. in Britain today. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was an exciting time. So interestingly, this the year, so has anyone here seen the Manga Shakespeare series or knows of the Manga Speech Shakespeare series? Speech teachers, if yeah. you haven't seen them, it's a um, great way of teaching Shakespeare. So it's a, a publisher called Self Made Hero, who back in 2006, so back, back then I was part of Sweat Drop Studios, which is still going now, and we were a collective who were very much doing our own independent comics, we would do a lot of, we'd go around to schools and workshops, we worked with the Japanese um, um, uh, embassy to try and basically bring, just get more people into making comics, basically, or try and inspire people to tell stories yeah. and say what an amazing medium it is for telling stories. And through that, we'd got to know a few people through the convention, including Paul Gravett, Man at the Crossroads. So many people's stories come down to, how did that pull? <laughs> uh, and so... It started to, through the grapevine, we knew there was this company uh, starting up who wanted to do comic adaptations of Shakespeare. So I'd studied Shakespeare at school. I was a, actually, a, I never trained in art. I trained in theatre and I was an actress for a while, so I'd acted in Shakespeare. So I read comics and I loved Shakespeare, but there was never a point where I would have thought, oh, Shakespeare in comics. But Emma Haley did, thankfully. So, um, I'd heard one of the first ones they were looking for pitches for was Hamlet, and Paul Gravett had mentioned to Emma, oh, there's this group, Sweat Drops. Start with one of the long ones, eh? Yeah, start, with, start simple. And uh, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. I mean, this was a long time ago, but by, in my time, then it was a long time ago, and, and I, I always say to people, you never 
you never finish learning in comics and art, mm. but I certainly had barely started learning in comics and art then, and it really was learning on the job. And I can remember even at the time thinking, either this is going to go great and we're going to revolutionise comics and we're going to tell Shakespeare in a new way to a new audience, or we're going to be killed with pointy sticks and never work again. That, like, this could go one of two ways, and thankfully... You're still alive today, I'm still aren't alive you? today, so it went all right. But what, yeah. was the, what was the sort of reception? And like, So you went into schools, and I know from my experience, you know, going back to the Yellow Kid, going back to Ali Slope, you know, it, 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 it is a genuine form of literature. Mm -hmm. It allows pupils who are less able um, in the classroom to access the curriculum. We, we've never looked back. Um, what was what was sort of you know going into these schools, yeah. maybe getting feedback at cons? You know, what was it like? I'm amazed. Like Shakespeare is a visual medium, and I yeah. I I will say hands down, I love I love Shakespeare. I absolutely adore Shakespeare. But my oh, he's my, yeah, my thesis, I have one words with him about Richard the Third, though. I'm not happy about Richard III. Uh, but uh, my thesis, my whole thesis at the university was about Shakespeare and education, and my, my angle on it was was saying that I feel like we we do it wrong over here. That why do we get people to sit down and read Shakespeare mm. on a page? You wouldn't go here is an episode of Coronation Street. Enjoy it on page. Like it's not the way we should be no, taking it. It's a visual medium. Yeah. So actually. Far from anyone who's saying, wow, Shakespeare in comics, that's radical. And you're like, well, actually, no, it's closer to what it should be. Because yeah. you're right. And the scripts were the original scripts. They were edited down by Richard Opinionese, but they were the original script, like the original words. And we were able to bring out subtext in the visuals. And it helped for me, I was a Shakespeare scholar. So I wasn't coming to it as someone going, oh, I'm going to talk Hamlet. Yeah, like, <laughs> I've got to give you blonde hair and yeah. black clothes. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was able to understand enough the text. I could bring yeah. things out. And so actually the re reception... I, well, I got some great stories. I got one where a, a, a schoolboy mailed me and said, oh, I just had to let you know that uh, I was in an assembly at school and we'd been doing a, uh, like a term on Shakespeare. And in the assembly, they were giving out prizes and someone said, can anyone tell me who Polonius is in Shakespeare? And this kid had put his hand up and said, oh, it's Laertes and Ophelia's dad. And the teacher said, oh, well done. You've been studying the play. And the kid went, no, I read the comic. Uh, <laughs> that's like, so great. <laughs> I thought that was really nice. But it's something that stays with you. I saw a few comic book creators yesterday. I can still pick a comic from 30 years ago and remember exactly where I was when I read it and it brings you that great... And some people are saying how comics for them took them from a, you know, from a very dark place yeah. and it gave them that enjoyment and it's still a very enjoyable medium and I think, you know, whether it's manga Shakespeare or just Shakespeare in comics, I think you're right, it is a visual medium. Um, and, and is it something that maybe you'd ever go back to? Is there, I mean, there's still a desire, I think, for Shakespeare or even certain 19th century novels. Oh, so, there is so much. I mean, I'd love to do all the Greek tragedies. Yeah. And like, there, oh, there's so much. But there reaches a point. I mean, I think I sort of, I'm sure I'll move into it. I kind of got a bit of a name early on as someone doing adaptations because from uh, Shakespeare I was also doing, the, I did the Vampire Academy series, yeah. Penguin Books, which is bigger in America than the UK, I think. Um, Alex Ryder. So a lot of it was adaptations. And while I love them and they're good stories, there comes a time where you're like, bit more but there's a there's a limited amount of time on this planet and I have so many stories I want to tell and the reason I learned to draw was because I wanted to tell my story I used yeah. to write prose stories and then I learned to draw to tell those stories so it's hard as I want to do everything there's too many things I want to do so you, in, a, in a way you would be in typecast or you were worried about being typecast is that a thing in comics like you can be in acting then 
I think easy, yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, I, I think which things are changing, uh, but certainly, I mean, I've just had my 10-year anniversary, and so things feel different now, but going back a few years, I would have still had some people saying, oh, yeah, but it's not like you're ever going to work for Marvel, isn't it? So, well, actually, no, I did work for Marvel. Yeah, like, I'm decent. The, the, the house style is not a thing so much not now. anymore it is no. we're finally opening up and realising well I ha- my mantra is that comics should be by anyone about anything for everyone that's like whether from a reading a retailing a creating point of view no one should feel like comics are not for yeah. them or can't be made for them or made by them you know like they're they're just the single best way of telling stories I, yeah, I yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think so. You know, going back to the Shakespeare thing, you go to a theatre, you've got one view and one view only. In a comic, it's a film, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you've got no budget constraints either. You can do whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, how did Vampire Chronicles come about then? Uh, Vampire Academy. Sorry, um, Vampire Academy. So what am I thinking of? <laughs> there's, oh, there's so many. Vampire, yeah. everything. There's so many things. Uh, I had people going, I love that you do that Vampire Diaries series. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, yeah, I'll take that. Um, so that is really nice. So just quickly, who here is actually is anyone in making comics? Is anyone drawing, writing themselves? Cool. Like so, the one of the I mean, generally advice in life, but especially in comics, the whole just be cool to everyone, be nice to everyone. You just don't know. Sitting at a convention one day, someone who comes up to your table and buys a comic next year, they might be editing or they might be writing for a publisher, and you're like, oh, remember we've had that. Everyone might be able to help each other out. Literally yesterday, we had emails going around because someone at this convention showed their portfolio, and we're already getting them in touch with an editor. Like because people like to help each other out. So with, with Vampire Academy, it came about because the same year that I signed the contract for Manga Shakespeare, I'd actually entered a competition. It was the Tokyo Pop Rising Stars of Manga competition. Um, and I was one of the finalists. And so they compiled a book. Uh, and obviously, I had my short in it. And it was awful. It was really bad, guys, really bad. We're always learning. Um, but one of the editors on that book was a Tokyo Pop editor called Rob Well. Rob, V-A-L-O-I-S, which I say Valois, because that's what the name is. No, he is American, and he says um. it's Valois. It's Valois. <laughs> so it's his name, so he's allowed to say it. I can't. To me, it's Valois. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he was one of the editors on the book, and I still remember his comments on that short was just like, I, I think we can, we'll see great things from him. Like, you can see she's got a sense of this, she's learning, but we'll see her. They were really good editor mm. comments. Then years went by. I did Hamlet. I think I even went back and did Much Ado About Nothing, perhaps, by that point. I did some children's comics. And it must have been like five years, six years later, that Rob, by that point, was working for Penguin. Okay, it was just yeah. Penguin. There weren't Penguin Random House then. It was just Penguin Books. And he genuinely had followed my stuff. And he came back and said, I've got this series coming up. Would you be up for it? Do you think, how incredible is that? that he, if an editor says... Oh, yeah. I remember you. They mean it. They are, they are amazing, following you. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you just never know who that person is. It could be someone in this room is going to be the person who gives you your next opportunity. Yeah, you know? yeah, and it, yeah. it shifts all the time. Like right now, touch wood, I feel relatively secure. But I know that when you're freelancing in two years' time, mm. I might be back to going, oh, God, there's not, I've not got anything. And that's the point where you have to go, guys, is anyone, can anyone help me out here? You, always, you help people out because you know that they might have to help yeah, you out yeah. in return. You know, it's that kind of industry. It's nice like It could that. be a bit tough, yeah. But obviously, I mean, you've, you know, as I mentioned earlier, very eclectic. You've done so many different things mm. recently. I mean, you did, uh, you know, short part in The Wicked and the Divine yes. Christmas that I love. That. Absolutely brilliant. That so must have been. And of course, was that another one where, you know, because I know sort of um, you got on very well with Kieran. It's, it's a small world, the comic community, yeah, isn't yeah. it, really? Well, 
people, to be honest, my entry into the comic scene that we sort of know now, because I've spent a lot of time going to anime cons, I've still got a lot of friends in that side, which I say that side, there's no side anymore, no, thank goodness, we're finally yeah. like, becoming one. Uh, but my entry into what we sort of are thinking of as comics is, is Warren Ellis, who I can't say enough nice stuff about. Like, he really took me under his wing, and there was a little group of us, I think, back then, and Kieran yeah. and Jamie were there as well, and like, it was basically the group who were sort of my entry and they were the first people I communicated with okay. and they were lovely to me and welcoming and we were all I mean back then Jamie and Kim were doing phonogram like the first time round wow. so we were, like Jamie and I would be uh, Google chatting each other about oh I can't get this right I can't get this building right how do you you know like it seems weird now obviously because he's a mega star he's amazing um, but yeah so we've had those friendships were there before lovely. anything yeah. else I think which is lovely and then so uh, I jumped in on a phonogram short with Kieran years ago yeah. and then when they were doing Young Avengers and they got to the after party I think Kieran's notes on it were like we knew that if we didn't let Emma do Billy <laughs> and Teddy she'd be really angry so I, I got to finish their story um, and then yeah with Wicked and Divine coming back it's just so it's so nice I mean it's such a superb it really is no one needs it? me to tell them um, and getting to do a Tara short especially because I loved what Lisa had done with her pages on Tara, so I wanted to sort of try and yeah. keep it looking relevant and got Matt Wilson to, to colour my pages, which was just like, yeah, dream come true, really. Wonderful, yeah, wonderful. Gorgeous. I mean, you've also done, I mean, you've done some work for ID Doll, you've done some work mm. for Doctor Who, people might know you from those two. Mm -hmm. uh, what was it like working on something like Back to the Future? And how, you know, with Doctor as well, what constraints have you got I suppose because you're working with a, a very well loved and very protected franchise on both those accounts. Do you know what fewer than people might expect and fewer than I expected actually. Right. So, in fact we were just having this conversation at the table a little while ago that um, when it was Steve White at the time, at time well, this is regarding uh, Doctor Who anyway, um, Steve White basically said if you could draw one Doctor we want you to do a Doctor who would you choose and I think I surprised him when I said the eighth Doctor but for me I, I I kind of love the Eighth Doctor movie. It's kitsch, but I kind of liked it. Also helps. I love. I kind of like. Yeah. Um, and then I've been listening to the audios for years and years. So for me, actually, he's been the Doctor longer than anyone else. Really. That's interesting. Um, yeah. And I find his position in the Who timeline just fascinating because he's the transition from what he was to what he became. You know. Um, and so people were saying, "Oh, isn't that going to be harder though? Because you've got less visual. Like, there's less TV." references to go off for mm. him and I said well not for me because the reason I make comics is not because I want to draw real people I don't want to draw real people I want to draw comics yeah. I want to make people so, so what I got to do with the 8th Doctor was have this sort of there was a vision in my head of him from listening to the audios right. and of course it was was Paul McGann but it also wasn't Paul McGann by then he'd sort of become something else in way. like his gesture work was there but um, so they then they that was they let me kind of almost cartoonized, like characterized Lovely, more. Yeah. Um, and with Back to the Future, they specifically, with IDW, they've got the rights to Back to the Future, but not to the actors' likenesses, which is perfect, again, for me, because I don't want to sit there mm. trying, I'm just not a likeness artist, it's not It must what be I quite do. hard anyway, you know, whether you can do it or not, it must be yeah. quite hard. Well, what's hard is trying to do it, and really, oh, some, some can, but um, if I try and get someone's likeness, what I'm going to compromise on is there I'm such an emotive probably because I didn't train in art training acting so when I draw a page for me I don't really think of myself as an artist I'm kind of director or acting and they need mm. to they've got to be alive and the moment I start trying to draw someone who looks like their specific representation yeah. they just become they lose that aliveness I think so for me I'd rather compromise on that and have them live yeah I think because I mean Salvador La Rocca who does uh, right. outstanding work yeah. on Star Wars 
when you get those likenesses, it, it does it does jar you a bit, even though it's a Star Wars. Well, the same comic. with Rachel Stott is a genius at being able to capture likeness and cartoon. Yeah. Like she can do both. I can't do She's both. come such a long way, hasn't <laughs> yeah, she? Yeah, yeah. She's brilliant. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so with, with Back to the Future, uh, aside from the visual likenesses, one of the things that made that really special, I don't know if any of you have checked out any of the comics. I'm going to guess most of you know the films, because who doesn't, and they're still like the best films ever. Um, but it's actually Bob Gale still writing the comics. So he was co-writing with John Barber, who was my editor on Gem and the Holograms. Right. And then when John moved over to Back to the Future, he was like, well, do you want to... It sounds weird to go from Jim, but are you interested in Back to the Future? And I was like, am I? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the fact that Bob Gale is writing it, so it's still his baby, it's still his world, you know, and he would, he was just great. He would occasionally send mails around to the team because he'd seen some funny story in the paper about some chap breaking a speed record in a DeLorean, and he'd be like, hey guys, check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a fun comic. Yeah, you know, he still lives it, he still loves that property. Yeah. So, yeah, it's lovely. So getting away from time travel in some way in, yeah. in form, you know, breaks, which yeah. I've seen described as a, a romance, but a bit broken, and I'm yeah. like, in sepia. Yeah, yeah, in, that, sepia. in sepia. A romance in sepia. <laughs> that's the new tagline. Now, that's, I mean, that's what, that seems to be very much, you know, your baby, and very much, tell me more about it, because I must admit, I've not read it. No I dare way. say I would want people to think, okay, if I'm going to come out of this room and I'm going to pick up an Emma Vicelli book, it's going to be this one, I assume. Yeah, I'd hope. Good. Yeah. I mean, the be- again, like I was saying before, the beauty of comics is you can do everything in comics. Um, and I love every... I've been very lucky with the jobs I've done. But everything I ever do, especially when I'm writing myself, it's about character. And it, it's got to come down. It doesn't matter whether they're in space, on like a, a, in a dungeon, time-travelling, whatever. It's how the characters interact with each other. Um, and... With breaks, it was an opportunity to say, well, I just, I'm going to take away any level of, there's no sci-fi, there's no superheroes, there's no vampires, this is people, because sometimes yeah. life's dramatic enough. The story of how it came about is almost as interesting as the story itself, in that I'd, uh, I was between contracts, I was waiting for a script to arrive from a writer, and I was getting, I was thinking, oh, I really miss writing, I fancy getting my hand in writing again. So I joined a writing group who was made up of a, a fan group of the Dragon Age video games. Has anyone here played the Dragon Age video games? They are amazing. Um, so you fit in right very well then. Yeah, uh, basically a bunch of nerds. Uh, no one using their real names, and this is this is really. Me. So we we jumped in using like I can't remember. I had a, I had a pen name. Um, was this an online group then? Online. Oh, okay. And so it started as there were just some people who were like, isn't Dragon Age great? Then gradually someone said, oh, I really, I actually really like writing. And someone else said, I write, I never get to write anymore. And they said, why don't we step away from Dragon Age fandom for a moment? Why don't we just set up a, a writer's group? We'll have an environment. And if everyone's got, you know, everyone's got some unfinished characters. Everyone's got like a character they're writing. They haven't quite clicked their whole story. So they said, if you've got a character, we've got this environment, bring that character into it and we'll do it like, it's all third person, but you, someone writes, it can be a chapter, it can be a paragraph, whatever, you just throw a bit in and then someone else has to pick it up from the end of it and react to what's just been written in the paragraph before. Right. So, so people were throwing curveballs at each other and I was a bit hesitant to join this. I mean, obviously I'm incognito anyway and I thought, <laughs> oh, I don't I like controlling the story. What was your I don't pen know. name? Well, my pen name, well, the, I can't remember what pen name I had, okay. but my character was Cortland because I had this story about this teen character very much inspired by my sister-in-law's job, actually, his, his role. And... Um, 
And I had this story and I had his background, but I didn't know what to do with him. He was just this character that I knew I wanted to tell the story. So I thought, well, he's a kind of perfect character to throw into this scenario. But I was a bit like, oh, I like controlling the story. I don't know about this. They're a lovely group, but I don't know. So my first few entries was very, were very much like, uh, Cortland's on his own, doing a thing. <laughs> um, and then there was this one particular other writer, again, under a pseudonym, and uh, she brought this character called Ian into it. And it... As time went on, we're talking like over a year of wow. this. Wow. And how regularly were these posts Oh, on? every day. It was so oh, we yeah. got really... It was, I've never worked that way before. If any of you write and you've never tried doing collaborative writing, it is so fun. Because it's like, it becomes a game. Because you're literally like, this happens, then someone else will throw this curveball that you think, oh, Doesn't that make hell, you want to do How does this character bad? react to that? It's not something I would have thrown at this character, but someone else has. Yeah. So now I have to write it. And it, it builds your own story. Super. Um, anyway, so this other particular writer had this character, Ian. And it became clear as we were going on that these characters were interacting in a way that neither of us had planned for this to happen. It was, it was this organic process in the story. And we realised that for both of these characters we brought to the story, what, what had been missing was what the other character could bring to it. And so after almost two years of this, we'd, we'd had no communication outside of story. It's all story. There wasn't ever a planning point. It was all just replying in story. Yeah. And then finally, I, I messaged her and I was like, look... I'm, I'm gonna unmask here. I actually, um, I write comics. Like it's my, it's kind of my job. I do stories, and I think this is really good. And she was like, "I'm like a queer horror writer from Sweden, and I really I like this as well." Oh, she told you. It was amazing. It was a superb moment. Of, you do this for a job. You do this for a job. Oh. Um, so from that point, we said, "Well, let's go back and start from the beginning." Like. Uh, separate with these two characters and write the story from the beginning as a novel. It was still in a novel. Okay. Um, now that we've learned what we have by doing the creative writing process, let's just write it as a novel. So we back and forth on chapters, and we got this complete story. And how long did that take? Oh, another year and a half Whoa. or so, maybe. So we're up to three and a half years <laughs> yeah. now. Goodness By mate. which point, I said, look, I love comics, but I often feel like there is a gap in the market of comics. So you can pick up, you can go to any library and book and pick up YA novels yeah. that are emotive, character-driven stories. And so often, it's, I mean, I grew up loving the X-Men. So often, though, what I love was the bit when the masks were off. Like yeah, that. yeah. The Who are the people it? dealing yeah. with it? How, what are the repercussions? What are the consequences? And so I said, I, this story we've got here, I love it, and we could push it as a book form, but I really want to do it as a comic, because I think I'm the one saying this stuff's not as, as catered for as it should be, mm. and I've got this story, and it, it would be remiss of me if I didn't try yeah. and do it as a comic. So Mullen, Mullen Ryden, sorry, is the other writer's name when she had her mask, and she was like, oh, okay, I, I love comic. I've never written a comic, but I love comics. And um, you know, she knows how comics work. So we then started this process where she took this novelised version of the story. She'd break it down into chapters and do like a pass of... I mean, her English is impeccable, by the way. Like, yeah, on the continent, it always just is, Just amazing. Um, so she'd start scripting it. And they were bloody good. You know, she'd never written comics. These are bloody good. And then I'd jump in and take those and do a, another edit over them, maybe. And we'd tweak, like, new scenes would appear as we're scripting it. And then, obviously, i take that. And from that point on, pencils, inks, tone, yeah. lettering, load, then it becomes my, my baby from that point on. Um, 
but it's just a comic that would not have existed well, yeah. if we hadn't had this bizarre sequence. And that is, those are very bizarre sequences, yeah, yeah. aren't they? Um, and so we've been online three and a half years now, so every week for three and a half years I upload a page for free. And if people want to find it, is it as simple as Emma Vicelli Breaks? or it's breakscomic.com. Breakscomic.com. Um, uh, we're on Tapas, we're on Smack Jeeves, and it, the reaction we've had online is exactly what we wanted to see because this is a it's a comic about real people so there's going to be people out there who can empathise with some of the stuff that's happening in yeah. here there's going to be people who react we get some fantastic reactions of people like I hate that character we're like good fantastic you should hate that character um, and we get people like cheering for them and they're flawed characters um, and it, but it's we, we love these characters and one of the things we wanted to set out and do from the, in the first place um, Mullen is bi and she's I mean we're getting so much better in comics now we are getting much better in comics but it's still unfortunately far too common that queer representation will always be the tragic story or okay, like yeah. it's a, it's, that's the thing they've got to fight for and, and we said the one thing we want to do with this story because this is what's come out naturally is that these kids have got things they're fighting for their lives are not the easiest yeah. lives but loving each other is not the hard bit like that that's quite easy to do so um uh yeah so it's a, it's a hopefully it's a positive story in that respect as well um yeah so that's how and have you got an end in sight or is it yes. still evolving you have well again because it was written in novel form yeah so we've broken it into three arcs so we're arc one obviously is in print already uh, we're not printing anything until arcs are finished i mean it's crazy i am crazy i'm basically working on this comic for free giving it away for free it's and a big not commitment, making any money isn't it? Off it's of a big it. commitment. But that's how dedicated I am to filling that gap in the market. I'm like, we need, we need these comics. Um, and then obviously the hope is that when the books come out, people will buy yeah. them. Uh, and then, yeah, we're about we're two issues off of Arc 2 at the moment. Obviously, it's slow. it has to be a page a week because of the nature of what well, not being paid And you've got paid gigs to do, and haven't you? And I've got to yeah. balance it. So I, I always joke that you know, I make comics in the day for the money that I spend to make comics in the <laughs> evening. Like, oh, God, it's a good job I like comics. Um, so, yeah, but it's a three arc. Um, right. Three arc in total. And has it changed along the way from, from it? Yes, yeah. yeah. Like, we thought we had the story sorted. It's amazing the moment you start to visualise something. There's so many extra little things yeah. that come up. And Malin's been playing. It's almost like a game between ourselves because she'll take a bit and script it out and she'll throw something in. She'll be like, ah, you're not expecting <laughs> that. And so it's back to the original origin. Then I'll be drawing it and I'll be like, ah, well, you didn't know that was going to happen. Like, so it, it keeps it fresh, you know. Do you think then that we're, we're getting better in the comic world with young adult books? I know that DC have just sort of unveiled their young adult books, although admittedly, it's still tied to DC characters. Is there something maybe, you know, that's clearly a step in the right direction. Um, is that enough, do you think? Is there still more we can do, I think, to make... There's always more, yeah, isn't there? There's yeah. always more we can do. Um, yeah, no, I feel like we're, we're on the right track. Yeah. You know, we're getting there. And, I mean, I know it's going back a couple of years, but again, Kieran and Jamie's Young Avengers series yeah. hit so many notes that had been missed before that I think and but again so many people were there going but I need more time with the characters like I there's a point with Marvel and DC characters obviously we're reading them because they're superheroes we want to see them be superheroes uh, but because of the nature of the way those comics are made they're big you know, there's, it costs a lot of money to print those comics. So you've got a 20 page issue, full colour, you've got to rush through that story. Mm. Which is why I think we're seeing in the world of web comics and um, in independent comics, we're seeing more long form stuff because when you've not got a company putting that risk out there, yeah. you're taking the risk on yourself and you're saying, well, I'm going to take five pages to have someone walk into a room because I can. 
Like, you know, but that's something Marvel and DC just can't afford to no. do. So it's a very different type of storytelling. I'll always remember, and again, I, I love all these comics, but for me, House of M is one of my favourite uh, Marvel storylines. I like House of Pain myself. Yeah. <laughs> 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 now there's a mashup. <laughs> uh, no more jumping. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I loved House of M, and I'm a, let's not talk about the movies, but I'm a huge Scarlet Witch fan. <laughs> um, and I can remember even then thinking, I, I get that the, the creators are doing what they can with this space, but like Quicksilver dies, is killed by his father, and he's, spoilers, he's killed by his father, and he's brought back to life within three panels. Like, and I, I feel for those creators, because what, what a thing to have to do in three panels. Mm. What you want to do is you want to take, Hey, you need you want. Yeah. I remember in, in Runaways, Adrian Alfona and Chris, Alfona and Christine, Christine Strain managed to have uh, again spoilers. Uh, a character dies. Um, <laughs> what in comics, comics? A character dies. They got better. <laughs> oh, that's all right then. <laughs> um, and they were able to take nearly a whole page to have this beautiful moment of one character holding the other, and then just mm. this heartbeat fading into the background. It had impact because we comics are subliminal, we need to tell the reader how much time they can spend on that panel. When you're going, they're dead, they're alive! Like, there's no time, it's just, you know, but it's I, how much it costs. I always remember um, the death of Terror from the Judas contract and how, ah. how uh, again, it was one panel, but it was, you know, it was, it was sort of a long shot. Garth, um, sort of Beast Boy, had hold of this dead woman, you know, this dead evil girl. Right. And there was just no, no caption or anything. And, and well, this is George Perez and Marv Wolfman was talking about within that one, and you know, and she didn't come back. Yeah. <laughs> but within that one panel, and yeah, it, it said it all, but I'm with you. I, yeah. I love the soap operas in There's Superheroes. There's a page in here that was not in the webcomic um, uh, because we knew it wouldn't work in a weekly webcomic format, but when we printed it, we were like, right, we can, we can put this in now. And you're going to see exactly why this page would not be used by Marvel or DC. <laughs> I mean, never say never, you don't know. This is the point where I can't remember the order of my own book. Sorry, guys. <laughs> flicking, flicking. For those listening, Emma is flicking through her own book. <laughs> Trying to find the page. Oh, here we go. You don't even know your own book! <laughs> oh, hold my mind. <laughs> it's this page here. It's just blackness. That's all it is. A page of black. But something really dramatic had happened, and what I desperately wanted was just a bit yeah. of nothing. Just to give the reader that time to go, whoa. And then you turn the page and something new is happening. And we can do that in comics. I take it that week you put two pages up, not yes, one. Exactly. That's very good. Well, the of black you. page just wasn't there. Just, <laughs> oh, it was right, just, okay. yeah, we had to leave it out of the webcomic version. But I remember growing up with, um, I don't know if anyone here has read anything by Clamp. They're a Japanese uh, female comic studio. Um, they're nods, yeah, they're just superb. And there was a series called X1999 that I, I just bloody love. It's a, it is a superhero story. Yeah. It's absolutely a superhero story. Um, and they are masters of, of page layout and how they will manipulate the reader through use of black and white and tones. Mm. And there was a particular scene in one of the issues where there's, it was someone going through a nightmare escape, something awful was happening, um, and his powers manifesting in various ways. And the pages got darker and darker and darker and denser and denser and denser and, until the, t the tone was getting tighter together, it became black. And then at the blackest moment, you turn a page and it was just a pure white spread and the character quite small at the bottom of one page and a single white feather just. Oh, wow. And the power of that going from like, dog, 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 woof, it's really mm. powerful. And we can do this in comics, but we can only do it in comics if there's the money there or the lack of risk that we can 
afford to do that. You say, you know, you say to Marvel, well, what I was thinking, guys, is we just have <laughs> two blank pages of our 20 page issue. I thought that'd be great. You know, it's the storytelling has to be paced yeah, differently. Yeah. You've got to work to the model. Uh, what else are you working on currently that you can talk about? Uh, yeah. So this is when you yeah, does yeah. that annoying thing. And literally at the moment it's particularly annoying because I'm juggling four jobs right now. Right. All of which are not announced. <laughs> so it's really frustrating. So breaks, obviously, that's that's all yeah. Um, I'm trying to work. Um, oh, it's so annoying, and I don't. I really don't say it to be annoying. I know no, it is no, really don't annoying. Worry about um, it. You know, I'm not going to sort of push you on that. <laughs> yeah, one. I'll say that. I'll one get of the them, audience to do that. Yeah. So one of them is um, a brand new comic where I've been. Able, I'm working with two writers, and I've been able to design it from the ground up, oh, which cool. is exciting. Wow. Getting to find the world, the characters, the costumes, everything. Uh, one is not a comic at all. It's something very different, but it is my art. Um, one is a short comic that's going to be an anthology of something. Um, I can't even remember what the other one is. What's the, oh, and the other one I'm writing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm covering all my bases. Yes, that's right. So one not a comic, one a long comic, one a short comic, one I'm writing. Okay. So, so where do you start with, you know, again, without prying, I think this is a general enough question. Where do you start when you're building a world? Now, I don't know if you read Sword of Ages... Um, it's absolutely stunning. It is an unashamed hero's quest story. Um, but Gabriel R- Rodriguez has created this world. It just, like the Star Wars world, it just feels like it's always been there. Yeah. I mean, do you start with the characters? Do you sort of break up? Or you think, right, I want this bit, I want this environment. I mean, where do you start? So it depends entirely on the project. Yeah, something of like Breaks, yeah. obviously, is this world. So there was there was no design on that on that level. Dragonair was what I started with, but I still have copies on my table of that. And that was a that was me going off on an anthropological. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I it started with a, a legend. I came with this idea of the last of a great creature on Earth wouldn't purely die. Their soul would go into the planet and get brought back through a vessel, a human vessel chosen by the gods. It would mature in that vessel, and then at a certain point a ritual would happen, and the vessel, the uh, a spirit binder would come down from the heavens, take that soul back to where it should be, and the human was blessed for their life as uh, a vessel of the gods. And um, so it was kind of this legend story, and I thought, oh, this, this would be quite fun. And so then the questions that come out from that, it's like this circle, this circle comes out, like, well, who would tell a story like that? What kind of environment they're living in to tell a story like that? What room are they sitting in when they tell a story like that? What kind of a fire are they sat mm. around when they tell a story? What are they wearing? What animals are in the vicinity that they can hunt? What materials have they got at their disposal to sit around the fire and tell a story like that? And you kind of branch it out and you start okay. to get really into this idea of well, how do they how do they power their vehicles? Yeah. How do they? I mean, as it was also, I was battling with the fact that I was brand new in making comics. I couldn't draw most things. And so I was like, they're mostly going to walk in the trees. <laughs> I can draw dragons. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, when I'm designing uh, a world, that's... When I get to design okay, world, right. it, it sort of comes, often comes out of the characters. Start from the micro and, and then build to the macro. From yeah. that. Everyone comes to it a different way. It's rare for me that I'm going to visualise a city and then who lives in it. Yeah. I'm more likely to go with the people and expand it out to the world they live in. I've really, I'm aware it's nearly 12 o'clock. It's gone very God. quickly, that I know. Yeah. So I'm aware also where you can tell Kieran we had a bigger audience than him if you fancy it. <laughs> um, <laughs> any questions at all from the audience? Any maybe sort of tips or anything there's always a lull and a pause before the first person asks a question i've got a train to catch so it's five minutes isn't it we'll see any questions any sort of uh, thoughts on what we've talked about today hello jess (laughs) is there anything 
Yes. What would that be? <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you had to follow that question. Yeah, hold on. She's like, no, for you. <laughs> oh. Keep it clean. It's Sunday. People are still at church. Oh, no. That's a, it's a really the church of comics. <laughs> it's a long, that's a long conversation to have. But there, unfortunately, often the way this industry will work is you sign up to a job because you know the character. Then you get the script, ah. and then you might be like, "Oh, I wouldn't have chosen to draw this." Um, and that has happened to me before. So, if in a in a world where I was able to see scripts first, then there's certain stories or themes or things that are, if. I, Oh, it's difficult to say in a short way, but if I'm morally objective to the the story being told, okay. then I, I would I'd rather not draw it. <laughs> As a, yeah, that's. But how do you get like? So you've got the script, you've signed up for the gig. Mm. Oh, I don't want to draw this. Well, you, you, you've got to do that. That's the thing. So yeah. often it doesn't work that way around. You sign up to something and then you see the yeah. script. You know. So I mean, I've been so lucky. You know, nearly everyone I've ever worked with, it, yeah. and especially now because I've been making comics long enough that when I do get a script, so many writers are up for going. Well, let's collaborate on this. Let's back and forth, and I can. You know, I'm really lucky with the people I work with, and that's the case with the stuff I'm doing at the moment as well. We're really back and forthing on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, prob- probably like now, where I am lucky, I've been doing it long enough, I can now say, yeah, there's probably some stuff I wouldn't draw. Let's face it, when I was starting out, there's probably very little I wouldn't draw because I needed to, you know, have a job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think now there's probably there's probably things I I'd rather not. What, rather not touch things that if, if something upset me mm. when I was reading the script then I would assume it's going to upset yeah. the people who like reading my work any other questions that was a good question mm. both of them <laughs> <laughs> at the back the gentleman who does comics yeah Gambit such a good <laughs> That was without a second's pause there. I've, I, I've... What's so cool about I hate Gambit. I think he's Shut rubbish. Up. Get out. I think he's absolute nonsense. Does anyone agree with him? <laughs> <laughs> he has been treated badly. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Do I smell? He's, he's been, like, hope current stuff uh, not included, but he has been treated badly over the There's so much potential in that character. And it's like he constantly gets thrown into a situation where you're like, well, that character's not going to work in that situation. Is that what makes you want to draw him, the fact that maybe you're attached to... And because we're all attached to comics, whether we like them or not like them, yeah. we're attached, aren't we? Is that maybe why that maybe you've seen this guy being pulled through the ringer by different writers and artists? Maybe. I just feel like he's... Oh, I don't know. There's certain characters out there. Like, I, I've really got a soft spot. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Poor Man's Flash. Shut up! <laughs> I used to like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not mutant phobic, by the way. I promise. Uh, same with Young Avengers. Actually, Young before Jamie and Kieran's one, which I just loved. Yeah. Um, before that came about, Young Avengers was one of the only yeah. series where I actually even considered pitching because I had a story I wanted oh, to tell okay. in it. And I, I it was a fun series, wasn't it? Even yeah. when it first well, yeah, came out. Yeah, because the characters. Yeah. Like, and it, beyond anything else, what an amazing bunch of characters. And I, I wanted, and we've kind of seen it happen now in comics. Obviously, things aren't always going to go the way you picture them. But I wanted that moment of Quicksilver meeting Speed and and being like, yeah, so you're my you're my sister's kid, right? <laughs> Wow, you look like me. Like <laughs> it's so, so much. 
It's all bizarre, that Magneto family. Yeah, I love anyway, it. it's all They're amazing. Weird. They're just, just fantastic characters. <laughs> but yeah, Gam Gambit's like always been, and I've always had a soft spot for Gambit. Who would you like to draw if you had you know, any character that you could choose? Blue oh, Beetle yeah. fan? Oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. interesting, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just think he's got a cool yeah. uniform, actually, Blue <laughs> Beetle 3, I must admit. I think, like, that I've been so lucky the last couple of years, to be honest, because if you'd asked me, going back a couple of years, characters I wanted to draw, Eighth Doctor, Supergirl, Gem and the Holograms, you know, like, it, it's been... Wow, like, yeah. I've actually been yeah. able... Because when Sophie and Kelly started up the, the Gem and the Holograms reboot for IDW, it was just... I don't know if anyone here has seen it, but it's just brilliant. I've been a fan of Sophie's for years and years anyway. Um, and I was, I was just so into it. So the point when they were like, well, do you want to do some of the second arc? I was like, ah! <laughs> yes, please. So you've been, I mean, looks not any. You've been very fortunate, haven't you, then? You must have a tick list of characters other than Gambit and, uh, and Quicksilver and, and Scarlet Witch. They're still to come, I'm sure. Um, you know, which ones, I mean, like you say, the Eighth Doctor, you must have been so pleased what they yeah. did with him in that little four-minute section that came on the 50th anniversary. It was great. I, we were literally again saying this at the table, that as far as I'm concerned, Night of the Doctor is everything I ever wanted Doctor It's brilliant, isn't it? That, that one, if just I'm getting goosebumps that, just thinking about it's it. just, oh, it's everything. It's so good. Which is why when George and I dived into doing Eighth Doctor, I mean, obviously we... George is a nice guy, isn't he? George, yeah. And we're obviously limited to a point in terms of the BBC's plans and their timelines, but we wanted, in our uh, standalone of the Doctor, we, we got to introduce a brand new companion, which was another bucket list thing to do. Um, so I got to design a companion. And uh, that we wanted to place him at a time where he's still the Doctor from the film. Like, he's still got this sort of, like, adventure, yeah. fun, adventure, fun. But there's also this stuff creeping in of, like, he's disenchanted and he's starting on that path nice. towards someone who's able to make the decision that he makes in Night of the Doctor, you know. It really coloured us, that four minutes or whatever yeah. it was, it really coloured us. <laughs> Emma Vicelli, thank you very much for making, uh, making it a wonderful Sunday morning. I mean that, it's, uh, it's been a great pleasure talking yeah, to you and shooting nice. the breeze. Yeah. Um, Emma's over there, like I say, breaks, dragon air, I dare say. I know there's Gemini holograms on there as well, so do please go and have a look in there. Thank you for your time today. Um, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you.